Good evening, LCM. Good evening, victorious saints of the living God. We are honored and blessed to be in a partnership with people who love him and who love his work the way that he does. Tonight is February 2nd, 2023, and the title of tonight's sermon is Sharpening Arrows. Go with us to Psalm 45, picking up in verse 3. <laughs> he wasn't in the notes. He's just in the spirit. Saints, we are preparing uh, for a good time tonight. We're going to have fun. Uh, our father of glory, he's got something special for us tonight. We're going to walk out of here differently. As we prepare to do so, we can't help but express the attitude with which our Lord is commanding us to set out in the same way that Yeshua rides out. So do we. Let's go to Psalm 45, picking up in verse 3. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one. In your splendor and majesty, in your majesty ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. We're going to be in the ESV for most of the night. LCM, we are beginning, we are being commanded to gird our swords upon our sides as well as our little ones. We have taken up the cause of truth meekness, and righteousness, as Pastor Eric talked about. And we are setting out to perform mighty and awesome deeds, as Pastor Peyton talked about. Our Lord is leading us to manifest his victorious, warlike nature. We're going to manifest the, the very same way that he rides out victoriously to conquer and conquest. We're manifesting that tonight. We've gotten off to one heck of a start this year, and we're going to talk about the last few weeks. Man, uh, in worship, I couldn't help but just meditate on the nature of uh, the Son of God that we're following. That's, that's what our worship was centered around, how holy, how, how righteous. And today we're going to explore more of his character, more of who he is. It enlightens us, it awakens us, it revives us to get to grasp him better. We have, the start of this year has been amazing. Hey, it has been nothing easy, but it has been amazing. How refreshing is it that in the past few weeks, we have come to destroy what we call the Acrino. Yes. Right? The Acrino. The doubting, the wavering, the hesitation, the division. You know, those things that separate us. Those preconceived judgments of ourselves and of others. I mean, all those... All those things inside of us that cause us not to really bond and not to really unite. Yep. The things that, that make us kind of rub a little too hard instead of actually uniting with others. You know, the things in our heart that about ourselves, about who we are or who we are not. The things in others about who they are and they are actually not. Man, this, this message brought us to a place of comprehending that there are things in us that need to be get, get destroyed, barriers that needed to be destroyed, that the social construct of society is satanic and it's intended to separate men and our Father and our Lord Yeshua intend to unite all in one. He's not going to have it. Internal barriers must be broken and destroyed before we are able to destroy external barriers in others. We can't be broken up inside and trying to unite the whole world in one, in Messiah. 
We are destroying barriers and uniting ourselves one heart towards him. And then going and uniting everybody to him. Come on. Now, y'all tell me the truth now. You're recording. Have barriers been broken in your life? Yes. In the past month, have barriers been broken and torn down in your life? Yes. Then you are prepared. We are prepared then to receive further clarity of the unfolding vision and mission that he has for us. That's why I know barriers have been broken. You know why? Because Lord, the Lord is continuing to give us further clarity and further vision on what he's already spoken. That's what we got this past Sunday. The vision has been, been cast. We are not running aimlessly. Did you get that from Sunday? Yeah. We have not been running aimlessly. The Lord cast the vision back then, and he's been leading us and guiding us down a specific path, a specific trajectory, all the way up to this point. We previously had a good understanding of our final target. Back to Jerusalem. But now the Father is unveiling more of how we will get there. This is refreshing. This is, this is uh, revitalizing our souls. In our Father's sovereignty, he is now choosing to reveal some of the key elements of the path that we must walk on to accomplish the mission. This is a mission that will be accomplished as we, individuals, families, churches, all work together as one man. Hey, what was the previous message on Sunday called? Balkan Bow. The Father unveiled, further unveiled, how our mission on earth is going to be accomplished. This is not a small thing. No. It's not a small thing. Some of us received it and are like, oh, man, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, that sounds great. You know, yeah, better, but more clarity. This is no small thing. That the Father is willing to unveil things to us is the greatest of privileges in life. Amen. Not only have we been redeemed from an empty way of life, completely lost. I mean, putrid, good yeah. for nothing. Okay? We have also been enlist enlisted in the battle for the ages. Our Father and His Son, the masterminds of the mission and vision that we'll accomplish, have asked us, have brought us to partner with them. Amen. Okay? They have a kingdom that is going out conquering and to conquer. And they have chosen us to partner with them. That is not a small thing. No. He, he has asked, whom shall I send? And we have responded, send me. Send us, Lord. And at the same time, we are those that the Father has looked upon with favor. He has said, Ibrahim Zakari, I have chosen you. He has said, Andrew Hayes, I have chosen you, brother. He has said, Spencer McLean, who's not here, I have chosen you. <laughs> he has chosen each one of us individually. Not like a random dice. Like each person here individually has been chosen to have his plan, his mission unveiled so that you would come alongside and partner with him. So that we would go and war and do war like he does. Not like we would think of doing it, but like he does. We are all gearing up to work together as one man in this work. So with this awe-inspiring gratefulness, let us go to uh, Psalms 8. Because we, we were thinking, man, what a privilege, right? What a privilege and how thankful are we? What did we start with, right? Just gratefulness, sheer gratefulness. Psalms 8 verse 3 says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, 
which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? You know, as a, about 12 years ago, as a newly born son of God, I remember saying to my father, man, what am I? Like, literally, that the father, that the Lord of all creation, heaven and earth would choose me. How much, you're so majestic and I'm so, so earthly, right? But he has answered this question. When I asked him, who am I? He responded over and over again, you are my son. Come on. You are my son. When I wanted to put myself low, he responded every single time with a resounding, you are my son. And this wonder, this wonder of who am I doesn't really get old. If it does, we're in serious trouble. This awe is the one that the Apostle Paul had in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. It says that I am the worst of all sinners, the least of all apostles, not worthy of being called one, right? But by the grace of God, I am who I am. Yeah. And the grace of God has not been in vain because I have worked harder, okay, than everybody else. This is how you make good on that privilege. It's great to be thankful. It's great to praise Him. It's great to give Him all glory. But what the Apostle did was not falling short of just giving him thanks and praise. He said, I worked harder than all. He showed me tremendous grace. Guess what? I am going to show him tremendous commitment, tremendous work. True awe and gratefulness of this grace is shown in serious work. Because the joy and privilege of our lives is that each of us here, individually, have been graciously chosen to be a part of the collective and unified Lord's right arm. Amen. Oh, does the weight of that sit on you? The fact that he didn't just choose you for salvation. He chose you to help put the world back together. And what's more than that, it wasn't even about you. It was about your sons that he was actually sending. When we let the, the weight and the gravity of that sit on us, man, it produces some joy. It produces some thankfulness and, and some gratefulness. Right? You know, you get excited if you get, you know, employee of the month. But we're talking about being chosen by the creator of the world to repair the world. That's something to be truly, truly grateful about. And it's not something that just has me excited about what God is doing in me and mine, in my family. He has me excited about what he's doing in the rear source. He has me excited about what he's doing in the young spites because they are a part of this plan. See, when we grasp how paramount this mission is, how important it is, church, not one part of the body can be left, left behind. Every collective unity team in this church, every, uh, every guy's home, every group in this church is paramount and it's important because God has spoken these things from the very beginning. Turn with us to Numbers 2 and we're going to look at this. Numbers 2. Numbers 2 is going to be instructive for us as a collective and unified body. Picking up in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, The people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard with the banners of their father's houses. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. The body of Israel had many parts, many, many parts. Each of them had their own banner. One did not replace the other, but each of them was individually unique. Their uniqueness 
was not of any value unless they were camped around and facing the tent of meeting and the presence of God. What made their banner special is that their banner was, was encamped around the presence of God. That is why we are here. We are all here saying we are camped around the presence of God, and we're setting out when he tells us to set out. A family with a banner, a purpose, a calling is only as productive, only of productive value when operating in unity with other families around the presence of God. We as a collective unified body have learned how to camp. We've, le we've learned that this past year. We've learned how to set the table. We have been devoted as one body to, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This year, the Father showed us in the very beginning of this year, he's now teaching us how to set out and bring that presence with us. Let's go to Numbers uh, 2.17. Numbers 2.17. Numbers 2.17. It says, Then the tent of meeting shall set out, with the camp of the Levites in the midst, of the camps as they camp say as the camp, camp so shall they set out each in position standard by standard what's great is that the father taught us and and we've become really uh proficient as a body uh more than most that i have seen to camp to 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 fellowship with one another to be devoted to one another to love each other to be in each other's nose everywhere we're just together right We've learned how to do life together. The, we, are, we, are, we are proficient at, at this. Today, or this year, the Father is teaching us to set out. And the way that we set out is in the same way according to the verse that we camp. Amen. What is the instruction for setting out? Each one in position. Each one moving as one unit around the presence of God. Meaning, as we camp, so we set out. In the same way that we have been faithful to camp, in the same way that we have been faithful to, to, to uh, instruct and edify one another, is the same way in which we are going out. In the census that Moses conducted in Numbers 1, there were registered 603,550 heads of households. When they set out, you know how many went out? All of them. 603,550,000 5, heads of households. Everybody went out. No one was left behind. You know, no one made an excuse of why um, maybe I, just the more experienced let them set out. Or maybe the ones that are more anointed or, or have, a, have this evangelistic spirit in them or are a little more fun or can break the ice a little better or you name it. There was no excuse. We all move as one unit. The Father gave us a command this year, setting out. As one unit, we are setting out. And no one has to stay behind. When we, uh, when we are doing this and we are united around the presence of God, we're, we're raising up a shout. We're, we're having uh, a spirit and a war cry inside of our hearts. What is it, Justin? Let's go to Numbers 10.35. As you get to Numbers 10.35... The command to set out is one of going out and conquering. That's what the Lord is calling us to do. So to everybody in this church, the end goal, how we're going to walk out of this room tonight is conquering. Newsflash. And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, arise, O Lord, 
and let your enemies be scattered and let those who hate you flee before you. Setting out in position around the presence of God is a direct act of conquering. It's a direct act. And it's what he's commanded us to do. It's what he's empowering us to do. In fact, our obedience to encamp as well as to set out is absolutely necessary in light of the vision of the Balkan boat. We're going to get more into that as we continue. The Father has shown us that a step in reaching and conquering the Middle East is, and ultimately Jerusalem will be the establishment of ministries in the region of the Balkans. This body of ministries is what our pastors refer to as the Balkan boat, and we're excited to hear, about more, hear more about it on Sunday. A bow that will accurately and effectively launch arrows, sons, and families into the Middle East. And as lofty and, and as, as high of a vision as that is, the question remains, what must we do? So uh, I have, we've, we've, we've been talking throughout the week. How many of you were relieved when you got the, clear, the clarifying vision on Sunday? Some of y'all was like, oh, my God, that was so relieving. Like, we now see how it's going to happen, right? But the question is, how do we get there? And it's not, it's not a trick answer either. What's the answer, Carlos? Let's go to Proverbs 22.6. You know this verse. But we learned something on Sunday that will unlock a few things here. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Train up the arrows for their intended flight path. And even in their old age, they will still be effective in reaching their target. Amen. That's what we're doing. We ask, what shall we do? So we're giving a tremendous vision. I mean, mighty blowing of our minds type of vision. Yeah. And it's like, what do we do? We're like, the people asking Peter like, okay, okay, that's great. But what do we do right now? Well, disciple arrows. Shape them, strengthen them, and sharpen them. Hallelujah. But how do we do this? Man, how do we train up arrows to camp around the presence and to set out around the presence? Just like a Lord Yeshua did it. We read in Acts 1.1 in the verse in, in the sermon last Sunday. What did Yeshua do? He did and then he taught. He didn't give wonderful sermons about how to set out. He didn't, he didn't expand philosophically about what it feels when you actually get the work done. He got the work done, and then he taught, yeah. right? When we are shaping arrows and when we're training up arrows, that's exactly the same thing that we do. We're taking our arrows alongside of us, and we're doing the work, and we're training them up as we do it. And then we have a voice to be able to teach them how to get there. The training of the arrows that will reach that place means that we get to do and we have to do here exactly what they will do at some point over there. Amen. This is so important. We have to do here what at some point will send the arrows to do over there. That's so important. Why? Because setting out is a, for us or for most of us, it's a little bit of a nervous topic, right? It's like, you know, we were comfortable here, right? We were comfortable in the church. We were comfortable with each other. We love each other. Man, I just got comfortable preaching. Now I have to go get comfortable with people I don't know, yes. right? Yeah. Well, that's the point. Amen. When, if we, if we don't become comfortable with Americans, <laughs> setting out among Americans, 
how will we train up children to be comfortable in Turkey? Right? We're, we have to teach them by what we do here and then expand on that lesson, but do exactly what they're going to do over there. So you know what that means? It means we don't let our foot off the gas. We, we don't slow down because we now know, okay, it's going to happen then, so I'm just going to I'm a, I'm a kick back and wait then. No, we don't let our foot off the gas. What we do now, what we accomplish now, is what they bring with them. Instead, because of the grace that he has shown us, we actually work harder. Because we now have this vision, we now have clarity, we actually work harder because we know that we're not running aimlessly. He has, he has had this out, he's had it planned out uh, wonderfully, masterfully, better than we could even see it. So now we know we can go even harder. We are unashamedly united as one. We are word-driven. We are spirit-filled. And we are evangelistic. That is what we are teaching and training our sons and daughters. Uh, as we reflected on, on the pastors covering 10 years of vision, I mean, 10 years of diligent recording of prophecies. Thank you, Pastor Nick. Uh, it got me to thinking about a time where I set out with unities, with, with, with unity, with brothers, to go accomplish the will of the Lord. And it happened in 2018, uh, in a trip to Russia, Turkey, Egypt, all that. That was fun, a lot of fun. He'd do it again. But uh, something very significant happened there, and something very significant started there, because when we came back, we went into a singles class, and I got my mind right, and the Lord showed me who my wife was. Very significant. But over there on that trip, two things happened. Uh, we were in Georgia, coming back from Georgia, and the Lord dropped on me a, a, um, a something of importance. Said in order for us to go and have success like the group was having, like we were having, they have to be sent properly. They have to be taught. Not just taught in the classroom. They have to be shown a way of life so that they can come here and do what we're doing. That's when the Lord made it clear to me where I would be. I'm going to be sending, Right? But something else happened, and this was maybe one of the, the most special things that I've heard from the Lord aside from, I'm your son. <laughs> I'm his son. The Lord told me that my sons would work in uh, the mountains in Samsung with, with Judah's sons. While we were riding, while Pastor Eric was blazing, 22 hours straight, no breaks, just chugging along. Your sons are going to be here. I had no idea what that meant. Absolutely no idea. But you know what began to happen as a result of that? Yeah, my sons are going to go. I'm going to send them. So when I came home, God began to put me in situation after situation, and still now is putting me in situation after situation to develop my character, to cause immediate obedience to come forth from me, to cause a warlike confidence to come forth when it comes to doing the will of God. Why is that? Because they need it. He did it in me so that I would transfer it to them and it would go back to that land. That is what the Lord is doing in our body. What he speaks to you, what he's showing you is not about you. It's about them. And everything that you choose to, to, to stick your foot down in the ground and say, you know, I'm not moving from this revelation. I'm going to do what God has told me to do. Every time you do that, you're propelling your sons into God's will. So, so Justin just told us that Whenever, whenever we get the revelation of what our son's identity and path and mission is, then the father puts us in situations 
where that is, we're going to have to enact and train them in that identity yeah. and that mission. So you can name, you can have really lofty goals for your son and call him Raphael Gibor, right? And, and the next thing that you know is that you have to actually enact and pray and work and be that Raphael and be that Gibor so that your son ra is raised up to be that same man. Yeah. So this is how the father engages us father, to train up our sons. Yeah. He is warring. Raphael, he is, he is a warrior. He is a beast. But... He is not worn quite like his father and his mother have. But you know what? What, what, what has been worked in the Carlos over these last few weeks, that's not going away. That's not going anywhere. That's, that's going to be transferred into his sons, forcefully at times. See, the training of the arrows doesn't look like anything other than gathering as one body without any divisions or barriers. And leading our generation by following our king in the way that they must then follow. We got to talk about Ittai. Let's go to, let's go to 2 Samuel 15, 20. Because Ittai really sets uh, the attitude that we have. Picking up in verse 20. He said, you came only yesterday. And shall I today make you wander about with us? Since I go... I know not where. Go back and take your brothers with you. And may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. See, Ittai was a foreigner who had recently, recently been given the opportunity to follow this warrior king. He came from a, a historically enemy tribe of Israel, uh, mind you. But he chose to go to David. Not when things were cush. Not when things were great. He chose to go to David as David was leaving his throne, so to speak. <laughs> Following the king, it means discomfort, uncertainty, and risk of death. Ittai has given the opportunity to easily save his life and remain in comfort in Jerusalem. Newsflash, the same will happen to you. You will be given the opportunity many times to remain in comfort, to save your life. But what did Ittai do? Oh, come on. What was his response? Verse 21. It says, but Itai answered the king, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also your servant will be. And David said to Itai, go then, pass on. So Itai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. My Lord and my king, I am encamped around you. If I'm encamped around you, when you set out, I set out with you. We are encamped around him. And Itai's response is nothing short of loyal and faithful. He knows what he's doing. He knows that he doesn't move unless the presence moves. And when the presence moves, he moves with it. If you decide to set out, Lord, I am setting out with you regardless of the cost. That was what Itai said. I am with you in life, but I am with you in death if that's necessary. Meet Itai marching around the presence of the anointed God was not for just him. All his men and all his little ones also went with him. Amen. Can you imagine what his little ones were thinking? They were learning to be like Itai as Itai was being Itai. Yeah. <laughs> this is how we train up errors. Yeah. Itai didn't have to preach. He didn't have to preach to his children much about how to follow the king. Why? 
because they saw him do it. But do you know what they did when they grew up? They followed his son. All of the little ones under Ittai followed him, Ittai, and all his men followed the king. Ittai could have taught his children how to be loyal followers of the king, and he probably did. But here we don't see him teaching. We see him demonstrating and leading. This is how we sharpen our arrows. This means that Ittai's little ones were trained up as warriors by the way in which their father and the men around them chose to follow the king. This is what we're called to do. Our children learn every time we choose not to save our life, not to uh, slip into comfort, but we choose to go the difficult route because it's what pleases the king. Amen. If that's what pleases them, that's what we're not talking. I'm not talking about being sadistic, about just hurting yourself. If the Lord says, hey, I want you to go over that hill and take it, then you go over that hill and take it and you bring your sons with you. That is what preserved its highest generations. Given the vision of the Balkan bow. And I'm excited. I'm super excited that we have been given direction. That we can grasp this a little tighter, right? So we march out victoriously like Itai did. What happens is that when you're given a vision and, 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 and the plan is set before us. And it looks lofty. And it looks also difficult. Those difficulties will come. Those diffic what happens is that. You start facing opposition. What happens is that excuses that could easily arise start to tempt us. Start to doubt, you know, faithlessness starts to rise up. We start to think, but how do we get there? Even though he just gave us revelation of how. We, we then are left with a gap between where that vision is and how it will be accomplished and the fact that we're still here now. The fact that what we're doing right now is not necessarily doing, being done over there. It's the fact that right now I'm raising up a baby. It's the fact that right now we're shepherding our wives, we're shepherding our houses. My, our wives are building up our own houses. It's the fact that right now things will not look glorious. But you still have the vision over there. Yeah. You still see, no, you know where you're going. But we have to be like Itai, which says regardless of where you go, regardless of what you're doing, I am encamped around you, and I'm setting out with you. I am following you, heart and soul. Itai had a warrior heart. Amen. He had a warrior mentality and a warrior spirit. He was zealous to conquer with his master David. Let's go to Isaiah 42, verse 13. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, Gibor. Like a man of war, he stirs up his zeal. He cries out, he shouts aloud, he shows himself mighty against his foes. See, when our Lord sets out, he does it like a gibber. Ain't that right, gibber? Setting out is equivalent to going to war. And when you set out, you are going to war. You're going to war with faithlessness. You're going to war with thoughts. You're going to war with the, uh, the physical obstacles in your path. We ain't got no gas money. Uh, we, we need plane tickets. We have to cross this border, and they don't want us to cross the border. You're facing obstacles. You're going to war. He doesn't set out with a flimsy, unengaged, and half-hearted attitude, though, does he? Just the opposite. He stirs up his zeal. So what do you think the Lord is, is requiring us and wanting to give us tonight as we begin to set out? As we now have this vision and we know where we're going. 
We're going to stir up our zeal. We're going to stir up the confidence of the Lord, and we're going to set out. He goes to war, and he wins every time. He shows himself mighty against his enemies. If this is how our Lord sets out, we who follow him and are encamped around him set out in the very same way. When we set out, we are entering territory that is dominated by the enemy, but we set out as warriors conquering and going to conquer. Yeshua has been given the ultimate authority in heaven and earth, and he has given that authority to us. Why? So that we can go and conquer. We go out with the zeal for his name, and we accomplish the tasks that he set us out for. How does this look practically? Because we can, we can stir up our zeal, but the, the thing is that what happens is that we go out there and that zeal is kind of lost, right? So we're in a service and we're talking about war and, you know, that arrow and, and it's slaying the enemy and it's super exciting and we're pumped. And then we get out there and it's like, but, you know, I have no, no, I have no sword. There's no actual physical war. How do, I, how do I keep that same zeal that I feel so pumped about here? Because I read that verse and he goes out like a mighty man, like a warrior. And he stirs up his zeal and he's mighty against his foes. And like, yes, Lord. So what do I do now? Psalms 115 verse 16 says, The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The first thing that has to happen is that we take responsibility. The heavens are the Lord's, and he's got that covered. But the earth he has given to men. Everywhere I go, I am personally responsible for what happens in that place. Have you pondered about that? Or have you, have, you, have you walked into a place, seen chaos, and said, like, oh, I'm leaving this place. Give my order. This is not for me to handle. Every, ha, have, you, have you thought about the fact that if the Father put you in that situation, it's probably because he knows what's inside of you for you to take care of it? Yeah. A peacemaker is, the one, is what we are. So everywhere we go, we take responsibility for bringing shalom. We take responsibility because the earth he has given to us. We develop a sense of ownership of the earth. I mean, ownership. Like, this is our territory. This is the land that he has given us, and we're going to conquer it. it. This sense of ownership compels us to take dominion. It's finally when we understand that this is the earth that he has given us, that I start devoting myself to actually dominate and subdue the forces of darkness that try to take away this entire world captive. When he places us in situations daily, and I mean daily, wherever you go, anywhere he places you, you can go to a doctor's office, you can go to Whataburger, you can go to a park, wherever you go. You're taking that land. Yeah. Why not? If the, if the heavens are the Lord's and the earth he has given to man, what excuse do we have when he has said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth, and therefore go? What is in us that we don't actually take that authority, take dominion, and go? When I go to Whataburger, I'm not going to heaven. I'm going to a battlefield. I'm, I'm going to a... Also Walmart, but I'm going to a war-torn land, period. War-torn land that has been dominated by the enemy. Everywhere you set out, you can see the work of the enemy here, there, everywhere. His hand is everywhere. 
You can see the results of his stealing and his killing everywhere you go. You would have to close your eyes to not do anything about it. Because knowing that the earth is ours, the, in the immediate moment that I see that the devil's got a foothold on somebody, on a situation, on a place or anything like that, I am inspired and I'm compelled to now go to war. Amen. This is what it means to rise up as a gibor, to stir up our zeal, and to go conquer our enemies. Yeah, yeah. The fervor and zeal of a warrior is part of the attitude with which we must go and set out. As, as this, is, this is the engagement personally of, of the setting out. I am going out and I'm like, there has to be a, a, a warrior, a zeal inside of me that says I am going to subdue the forces of darkness. I am not just going out and getting fat at Whataburger. I am actually going with a mission. I am going out everywhere I'm going, I'm going with a mission and with power. That is how we actually act like warriors that stir up their zeal. Amen. Let's go to Genesis 6, verse 5. You know how we can do that? How we can, you can actually go out with that fervor and that zeal and that warrior's mindset that, he, that he's told you to? Because it's the identity that God gave you. We're not asking you to strain for something. We're talking about walking in what God has already given us and refusing to accept any excuse. From ourselves or from the world. Like any excuse, we don't want it. Yeah. Lord, what do you want me to do? I know you will empower me to do it. Amen. Genesis uh, 6, verse 5. And if this man didn't have an excuse, none of us do. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was, was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. The context here, you know, is that Noah lived in a very dark time, so dark that it led the Lord, who is patient, compassionate, and just, to wipe out almost all of humanity. That's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Our bad. <laughs> For any righteous person, this context means war, right? The entire earth has been subdued by the enemy. This war-torn land and everywhere you look, the enemy had destroyed and conquered. But that's not where we're going to stop tonight. Let's keep going in verse 7. It said, The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and, and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Come on! These are the generations of Noah. Man. It's really cool that from favor it moves right away to generations. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But Noah, right? In the midst of a very dark, in a war-torn, difficult time, Noah found favor and stood as a righteous and blameless man in his generation. At this time... At the time that Noah was standing up in righteousness, before he had found favor in God's eyes, you know what he was doing? He was being faithful. He was being righteous. He was standing up even though he didn't know how the salvation was going to be worked about. He saw everything going haywire. The world has gone chaotic. And Noah stood righteously, stood blamelessly in that generation. 
Do you think that was war in his mind? Do you think that when the entire world is doing what God considers so abominable that he will wipe out the entire earth and Noah stands up for what that, for what's righteous, do you think that he didn't have a war in his mind, in his heart? Do you think that it was in, um, intimidating to live as a righteous man? Being Christian was not the popular thing back then. Noah was being faithful without knowing how it all was going to be work out, worked out. But he found favor in the eyes of the father. And what happened is that because he found favor, the father then revealed his plan. The father then chose him and revealed to him that is with the ark. The ark that you built, by the way, Noah, that he will bring about salvation to the world. Noah was faithful before the plan was fully revealed. LCM, you have been faithful before the plan is fully revealed. And Noah became faithful as well when more revelation, more unveiling of the plan was given. Just like we are, LCM. How Noah did it is how we're going to do it. How we sharpen our arrows is how Noah sharpened his arrows. That man got up every day and he stood for righteousness. When an entire world was hell-bent, he stood for righteousness. And he didn't just stop at that. He got up every day and he went to work. Come on, single man. Step one. He got up every day and he went to work doing what God told him to do. There was, like, like Carlos said, there was a little bit of warfare mentioned in that. I mean, you can't see why you're doing what you're doing. All you know is God told you to build an ark. But he conquered. He didn't choose what was comfortable. He actually pressed into what was uncomfortable because God was calling him to something that he didn't know. He didn't know what the results would be of his obedience. That's how we sharpen our arrows. We decide to get up every day and say, you know what? I'm not going to live at an 80% of God is, what God has called me to be. I'm not settling for 90. Lord, I'm going to kill myself living exactly how you want me to be today, and I'm going to conquer in that way. And your sons and daughters see that. They see you living that way, and that becomes the standard for them. That's just what we do. That's just how my mom and my dad lived. To this day, I, I don't consider myself who is some, uh, someone who is lazy when it comes to work, right? Well, I had a dad who woke up at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning every day and went and drove a dump truck. He worked on his own parts. He, he, he did his own repairs. I didn't learn from a class how to work hard. I learned from watching my dad get up and go to work. And I'm like, hey, this is just what we do. Dad, can I come with you? That is what we are doing. That is what, that is what Noah transferred into his generations. The result of his obedient actions was that God's plans for his family and the earth came about through him. See, he didn't know every day when he was, when he was working on the ark that his sons would subdue and fill the entire land. He didn't know that. What he did know to do, though, is get to work. What he did know to do was to conquer and to stand for righteousness. His actions ultimately result in his generations taking dominion of the entire earth. Let's go back to Isaiah 42 real quick. So in Isaiah 42, we learned about the gibor that stirs up his zeal, right? Well, that's not it about our Lord. Isaiah 42, verse 16. Just a few verses after that says, And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light. 
the rough places into level ground. These things I do, and I do not forsake them. Our master, our Lord, he sets out as a warrior, but he also sets out as a shepherd. And so must we. This is the beauty of, of, our, of, of ex exploring the facets of our, of our Lord's character. We're going to battle in the spiritual realm, but on earth, we're setting captives free. Yeah. On earth, we're shepherding, we're leading the blind, we're guiding them, we're turning darkness into light. We're strengthening them and shepherding them. And as a compassionate shepherd, we actually do not forsake them. Our father is a warrior that takes on ownership and responsibility for his sheep. You, say, you saw it in that verse. It says, I will lead, I will guide, I will turn. I do not forsake them. That sounds to me like he's a good shepherd. That sounds to me like he takes ownership of that sheep, of those who are lost, and says, I will do this. When I see them, I will get to work. I will do this. Our Lord Yeshua demonstrated this perfectly in Matthew 9, verse 35. He says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. That sounds to me like he set out. He set out and he went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. That sounds to me like a lot of work. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Amen. He exhausted himself. Literally exhausted himself walking all around. But not just walking. He was teaching, proclaiming, healing. And all driven from a heart that had compassion because they were lost like sheep without a shepherd. So our Lord, he stirs up his zeal and he goes to war. But you know what also? He stirs up his heart and has compassion for them. He has two, a two-sided gem that drives every one of his actions. He did this. Like 1 Thessalonians 1.3 says that it was his labor that was prompted by love. Being only one man. Yeshua in that moment, being only one man, and looking at the crowds, and seeing that they're sheep without shepherds, then he asked us to pray, to beseech, to actually war in the heavens for more harvesters. Amen. To, the harvest is plentiful, but I am only one. Basically, Yeshua's thoughts in that moment. Therefore, I need more. I need more that will war in the heavens, and I need more that will shepherd on earth. I need more that will actually set out and act. Set out and follow me. Follow the master in the exact same way that he sets out. With this two-sided gem of I am, I am literally going to war. But my heart, when I see a person captive in darkness, is to have compassion on them because they don't know what they're doing. We are the ones that he is sending out. Amen. This is how... We sharpen our arrows. We've talked to you about two, two things, and they sound like they're two different things, but they're actually the same. In being compassionate, he is warring. He is warring for their souls. In warring, he is actually being compassionate because he refuses to lose one sheep. Yeah. And let me tell, tell you something about that. In order to accomplish that, in order for us to do it, it's not going to be because we choose the route that's comfortable. 
is not going to be because it happens at a convenient time. It's not going to be because we just, we just felt so great that we had to go. No. We do what the shepherd does. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And we do the same thing. And you know who's with you the entire time you're doing this? Arrows. Your arrows. This is how we prepare the generations. We live in reckless abandon for our lives today. We choose what's difficult today. We expend ourselves like Jesus did today and trust that he'll fill us again because we're going to do it tomorrow. Amen. And they're going to learn, they're going to learn, those little ones are going to learn that we don't stop. When we get tired, we don't stop. When we get sick, we pray and we keep going. Amen. When we're broke, we give and we make up for it later. This is who we are, and this is what we do. We have a mandate to conquer this earth, and my father showed me how to do it. So you have what your family needs. Husbands, you have what your family needs. But you also have what your coworkers need. In the same way that you look at your disciples and your little ones and say, hey, no, I'm going to provide for them. I'm going to give them what they need. Those that he puts in your path throughout a week on a consistent basis, you have what they need also. In the same way that you have what your brothers need in your team unity meetings. The random person that you run into at the grocery store that's really not all that random, that you know is like God appointed, like set, set out kind of material, you have what they need. So in that moment, don't shrink back. Don't turn away. Don't be like, ah, oh, that's not really me. You're not really you. You belong to him now. Stand up. As the warrior that God has called you to be, as the shepherd that he's called you to be, and do what he's put you on this earth for. Come on. You want to tell us a little uh, oh, yeah. about that, Carlos? Yeah. I want to share with you an anecdote that was fun. As we are gearing, and, and we should, you know what we should do? As we are setting out, we should come back and, and encourage each other about what's been happening. Right? Because that's how you share the exploits in the kingdom of heaven. First that's how you 14, have your 26. testimonies and you share the growth and you share what's happening and you encourage, we encourage each other. And, you know, next time it's like, hey, brother, you know what? Next time you're going to do that, call me. Right? Most times happen a little randomly, so it's hard to call in the moment. But, but as I was, no I, I went grocery shopping with my daughters, uh, just two, Valentina and Megan. And, and we see a couple of lesbians. Okay. Captive by the kingdom of darkness. And I don't know why, but lesbians just, uh, they, they kind of intimidate me a little bit. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I was a little fearful of sharing the gospel with them. And, and, I'm, and I'm walking around and, and I'm thinking, is this the father? And they're like, what, how much do I have to think? They're overly captive in sin. Okay? How much do I have to pray about this? So I... I, I uh, I, uh, I, I, tell, I commit to the position, and I tell Valentina and Megan, hey, you know what? There's some lesbians over there. And, 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 of course, you know, this is an abomination. The father hates it, but they're captive, and we have the word, and we have the power of God, and we're going to go bring them the word, okay? And so throughout the, throughout the store, we are walking and we're seeing them. And the father's just making a point that these are the ones that we need to talk to because we get to the cashier at the same time. We go lay our uh, bags in the car. It took a little bit. And then we go out and we meet them on their car. 
And there was one that thought was a man and another one that looked like a man but was a woman. They were both women, but anyway. So they, but, but, we, but the, the wannabe man, he, she's, she, <laughs> she, she's, she's she. staring at me as I'm giving the word, uh, like just mocking, right? Mocking what I'm saying. But the other one is captivated by everything that I'm saying. And so, I don't remember at this moment what I said, but I did, I did, I did follow uh, what the Spirit was telling me in that moment. And it, was, and it was powerful. It was powerful because I could see that if in that moment I had not taken, made that decision to go, the Word of God would have not, would have not been preached. They, would have not, they did not go to Kroger thinking they were going to meet a random guy with his two daughters preaching the gospel to them, the way of salvation, and why they must repent of their sin. That's not what they were thinking. But they met a son of God and his daughters whom the father had handpicked and placed in that moment before I even knew it. In that moment, as I stepped over fear and I stepped over stupid things that shouldn't even be in us and was obedient to what I felt the father saying to me right now, my daughters were with me. My arrows were with me. And so what happens is that as I'm defeating fears, you know what? Those fears are also being defeated in them. As I'm stepping out and preaching the word, they're learning how to give a word, not because I taught them a lesson, but because they saw their father in action. And so whenever they do go out and whenever their father does send them out, they won't have to take a crash course on how to set out. They've been living with their father that continually sets out and they know exactly what to do they know how to move in the spirit they know exactly what to say they know how to be led by him all because they were being arrows sharpened by how we live we learned to camp around the presence we're learning how to set out around the presence and what's the best thing about this is that all of us are going together unity and our arrows are going with us so if, if Noah doesn't get up every day and build that ark, I mean, if he doesn't do it with integrity and character, if he leaves one board a little loose, what happens? Good thing we don't have to find out. But if Carlos doesn't stand up in the boldness, in the confidence, in the warrior-like nature to defeat all the fears and all the cares and worries about what the world is going to think and rise up in the shepherd-like nature that God has called him to, to care for these people, if he doesn't do that, what happens when, when Valentina gets there? What happens when that occurrence happens in her life and it's her turn? Well, good thing we're not going to have to find out because Carlos did. Amen. We're not going to uh, shortcut our sons and our daughters by refusing to do today what they need tomorrow. We're going to stand up and be what they will be. They're going to learn from us in that manner. Church, if you're getting anything from this, God is saying, hey, stand up. Saad Robinson, stand up like the lion of God that you are. Ray the lion heart, stand up like the man of God that you are. Because I have something planned for your generations. But it, require, it requires us every day to stand up and to go to work. To war like we're supposed to war. To shepherd like we're supposed to shepherd. 
to lay a foundation so that we can send them. Go with us to our last scripture in Revelation 19. God is sending us out as a conquering church. He's sending us out as a conquering church. But how he's doing that is that he's sending every member out every day to conquer. Whatever your day looks like. There's nothing too small or too great. If it's a diet, if it's a budget, the, the integrity and the character that you develop by standing up in who God has called you to be is what they need in order to succeed. Stand up and conquer. Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. This is the part that we want you to really get. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. You can find this verse on your own time, but in Revelation 6, he is the rider on a white horse. He's the one that has the bow in his hand. He's the one that bends the bow. But in Revelation 19, we see that the armies of heaven are following him. They're riding white horses. They're following him just like he is riding. There's no difference. He's going first, but the armies of heaven are going right after him. This is us, LCM. We're following him in unity. We're following him as righteous, zealous warriors. We explain to you what kind of zeal we have when we get out there in the field. When we go out there, this is heavenly, this is, this, is the, this is Mount Zion, this is the heavenly Jerusalem. I'm talking about when we go out there. And as compassionate shepherds, we follow him as well. We set out to abolish fears. Because when we think about the things that prevent us from doing, from setting up, from going and warring and being these compassionate shepherds, fears rise up. Complacency and lukewarmness rise up. Faithlessness about whether we will accomplish anything or maybe low expectations about ourselves rise up. Sometimes we're just pure lazy and we want comfort and setting out is not comfortable. As warriors and as shepherds, we're driven by these two things. We're driven by the zeal of a warrior and we're driven by the compassion of a shepherd. And we rise up and we defeat and we abolish all these things I just mentioned because this is who we are and this is who our master is. Church, as we get ready to close, Max, Pastor Judah to come up. But I just want to encourage you. Whatever that thing is that Carlos mentioned, laziness, comfort, fear, move it out of the way. Amen. Just move it out of the way. And you can. It's, it's that simple. We can. He puts you here to conquer. Yeah. It's why he set us on this earth. So how about we go do it? Yeah. Amen. These are the kind of brothers that you want in a foxhole. Can you tell how much they love this body? How much they love the word of God? How they fight to put it into practice? 
Do you agree that these are men you would want next to you in warfare? What they've shared is a sincere gift to every one of us. I want to take a minute with them on my left and right to put a razor's edge on it. Are you the kind of brother that we would want in a foxhole? What you see in them, the way that they are looking to enter the fray, they're looking to engage with the call of God and they will stand with their brothers on their left and right to their own hurt. Is that you? When we're weighing that out for a minute, we're thinking about what we see in these men that we want to emulate. If we are pulling back a bow, if we're learning what it is to walk in this vision and awaiting further instruction, if your children live in a foreign land exactly like you do right now, will they turn that city upside down for Jesus Christ? Or would it stay the same as when they arrived? That's a question that you need to contemplate because it is the future of your arrows. These brothers have brought us encouragement. They've brought us sincere direction. But we need to soberly consider what they've actually said. Will your life turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ because of your love for the Savior and love for your brothers? Because if it will, you can have confidence your sons and daughters will do the same and more. Amen. Now, if you're hearing those words, and you honestly can be bold enough to say that I'm not where I need to be for the sake of the arrows coming after me, then stand to your feet. With the lights on and no music, if you recognize right now that you've been woefully short of what is necessary for the trajectory of your son and daughter's lives, but you want to fix it, then take a minute to walk to the front of this room. During worship, there's a prophecy that seemed to be better fitting for a later time that I want to share with you. While you're looking at these two brothers and the three of us could not be any more different from a natural standpoint, you see a supernatural unity. You see the removal of diacrino. You're standing next to your brothers that can make you strong as you make them strong. Because there's not one of us that can live up to the ideals that we just preached about without supernatural help in the body of Christ. Lord began to speak to me earlier as we worshiped about this body. And he said he was moving nations around as if they were clouds. That his Ruach was able to move them to the left, to the right, to position them as he desired, and that there was a storm coming. We've been hearing that message in this body for some time. You've heard entire teaching series on Jeremiah because we believe that God is going to do something in this nation that is judgment like in the days of Jeremiah. 
the faithfulness of men like Ezra, Nehemiah, and Daniel in the midst of adversity and judgment. Telling you that God is moving the pieces of the globe around right now, creating a storm. He spoke about a people's who heart was moldable. That the churches could hear what the Spirit was saying. That like Psalm 37, he who molded his desires after what God desired, well, he would take delight in that people. And that he would mold them to be a weapon fit for the purposes of the days that are ahead. These brothers mentioned 1 Corinthians 15 10. I adore that passage. I want to emulate that passage. What I'm recognizing in my own lack in the supernatural power of God is that Paul experienced the grace of God that had an effect in him that caused him to work harder. His harder work was not the result of him paying the Lord back for his grace. It was the result of his grace enabling him to work harder. I want to tell you tonight that if you heard what these men said and you recognize you are not where you need to be, but you will make your heart moldable for God, if you will ask him for a greater measure of his grace, he will mold you and your family into a weapon fit for the work of God and your arrows will become sharp. The Lord spoke to me specifically about families in this room that are called to be pillars. But in your own admission... You have lagged behind. You feel like you've lost too many years. The Lord said that I will catch them up in a shorter amount of time. I will cause their maturity to grow 10 years in the space of three. And that he would rouse the sons of this house. Saints, I believe we're at a moment that is a call to action, that he is showing us what is ahead, but there is an attitude and a cry that we must have. You feel like too much time has been spent, too much time has been wasted with your own family, with your children, and your own life, and you do not know how you can fulfill the call of God. Ask him to give you a measure of grace that will let you work harder, and his grace can transform you along the way, and watch our God will bring you exactly where you need to be. Amen. Can we put Psalm 145 and verse 13 on the screen? Savvy, you're in the back. Just track with me as we read this. We're going to go all the way down to verse 19. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Saints, you've been given admittance to a kingdom that is an everlasting kingdom. Your God is a faithful God, and he will be kind to you in his working inside of your life. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him.
to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Saints, if you're sitting here now and you're one of those men where you have the spiritual bravery to say, I have fallen in my walk. But I also believe that my God is faithful enough to fulfill the promises he has made to me. Then we're going to pray. We're going to begin to worship as one man. And we're going to stir up our zeal. We're going to stir up our zeal and our faith to believe that God can fulfill his promises, not through someone else, but through you in your household. And then as we go from here, we are going to set to work applying the very first thing he shows us to do. Sadly, put Romans 8, verse 33 on the screen. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Hear this next part. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Shall those things separate you? Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Church, are you loved by the Father? Yes. Are you loved in that his son's blood has been applied to your life? And from the left side of the room all the way over to the right, today we are done accepting anything that says it has separated us from the call of God. No amount of trial, no amount of difficulty, no amount of putting our own sinfulness to death by the power of the Spirit of God shall separate this body from conquering in the name of Jesus. Amen. Begin to pray with us. Mighty One, I thank you that you love your children enough to give us a God-born word. Lord, we thank you now for raising up brothers like Justin Linton and Carlos Rueda. Lord, in the arrows that you have given them. Lord, we say we, we honestly are not where we want to be, but we believe you are able to transform us, mighty God. Lord, we say make us into the men that we must be for the sake of the arrows that are coming after us, mighty God. Let your spirit fall. 